Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. Support for this episode comes from Missouri-based Kuat Racks. For trailblazing rides or Class 4 river drops, Kuat makes racks that help get your gear where you want to be. Their new Class 4 kayak rack locks, folds, and stacks up easily for hauling and stowing your gear. Not to mention, you'll want to keep a Class 4 on the roof at all times because it actually looks good up there. Kuat, because you love your bike and your kayak. Get your next adventure on your vehicle at Kuat, that's K-U-A-T dot com. There's a big, look, look, look over there on the far side. Look, look oh, yeah, all yeah, the way yeah. to the bank, dude. Oh, they're going crazy Four over there. Four or five over there. I guess um, gonna hit that hole here in a second. Did you yeah. see that blow oh, yeah. up over I there? I saw it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, uh, that's why we're here. Yeah. Can I go fishing now? Mm. Let's do it. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Ozark Podcast. We are here on the banks of an unknown blue line river here in the Ozarks. And um, that is because we are joined by a special guest of the episode today, and that is Ryan Walker of Ozark Smallmouth Alliance. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. It's me. It's Kyle. Yes, sir. Catching some fish. And it's Ryan, and we're out here, and we're, we're just having a blast on the water, trying to get out for some smallmouth. You know, Ryan, I know your thing is smallmouth, and you've, you've become known for your ability to catch smallmouth and also your, your drive and desire to conserve the, the fish, the species here in the Ozarks. And so that's what we want to talk to you about today is, is smallmouth. And specifically, to kind of set the stage as an intro, right now it's July, and we're really wanting to talk kind of the transition. How do you fish smallmouth in the transition times as you go from spring to summer, hot July days like today, what are we doing today? And then going into the fall, I think a lot of people kind of drop off. They hit it hard spring and summer, but then, you know, they're like, I don't really, it gets hard in the summer to catch them. And so that's kind of what we want to do with you today. If, if you're cool with sharing oh, yeah, your knowledge, man. man. Yeah, love to talk about smallmouth fishing. Cool. So um, maybe we just start with what is Ozark Smallmouth Alliance and, um, and kind of how did that come to be? So Ozark Smallmouth Alliance is a grassroots group that, that me and a couple other guys founded uh, 2015 or 2016. And it's really just a collective of people that are passionate about smallmouth. There's no membership dues. I didn't, I don't want to do the old guy meeting thing, even though I'm an old guy. I'm, I don't, no meetings, no, no, no formalities is all. It's, it's, I love smallmouth. I want to, take care of the resource we have. They're native, man. They live here. They grew up here. They weren't transplanted for the most part. And uh, it takes forever to grow a big one. So membership into the Alliance is just an attitude of preserve the species, protect the resource, and promote the resource so that more people down the line know. My, my big saying is pay it forward. Yeah. Right. So let that fish go. And, uh, you know, Lee Wolf or somebody famous said, 
you know, a, a, a good game fish is, is too valuable. It'll be valuable just to be caught once, and that's kind of our mentality. Mm. Yeah. What was the what was the um, kind of the impetus for starting it? Were you observing things changing from the time? And maybe as part of this question, um, kind of where did you grow up? I, and I know you grew up here in the Ozarks, but as you were growing up, were you seeing things change? So, so yeah, I grew up. I grew up about thirty miles. Of east of where we are or west of where we are right now and outside of a little town called Republic. And uh, I fished for smallmouth my entire life. I got my guiding career starting in trout on Taney Como, working okay. for a couple of the lodges down there and hung my own shingle out. Went to Alaska for a little while and guided up there for a few seasons. Smallmouth were always kind of my gig, right? I didn't want to share them with anybody. Um, Mostly because they live in places like we are right now, beautiful, yeah. remote. We haven't seen anybody all day. No, we haven't. Middle of July. And I want to say on that, too, I didn't mention at the beginning, we don't get to get up to Missouri much. We're, yeah. we're some Arkansas boys. And so to get to come up here and fish with you and see this and see really how a lot of this is so untouched, I feel like, and I, maybe, maybe I'm just, this is my own anecdotal experience, but... I typically see a lot of people on the water, oh, yeah. at least in the stretches that I'm fishing. And so to come out here with you and not see anybody yeah. is like, this is some untouched beauty out here. No, it helps to know people too. So sure, I mean, yeah. we've got we've got a long stretch of water here that, that has no public access on it. So you either have to have private access or you got to bushwhack into it. Yeah. And uh, which is kind of, we both did a little bit of both today, right? Sure. Um, so 2015 or 2016 is when I saw the first sign showing that MDC put up showing how long it takes a quality smallmouth to grow. And so, you know, we've talked about this earlier is, is a, a 16, 17, that, that trophy fish, that fish just has a different gear. That 16 plus inch fish can be eight, 10, 12 years old. A 20 inch fish can be 12, 14 years old. And there's some debate back and forth either way. They do not grow fast. They don't have the forage base that a lot of the lake fish do. A lot of the fish up north that get, you know, seven pounds, eight pounds yeah, pretty regularly. Yeah, big small as you think of. Yeah, they don't have the gobies and, and menhaden and all that, you know, that schooling stuff. They've got crawdads and they've got shiners and they've got mad toms. Um, the occasional baby duck, but, you know, it, they just don't grow that fast here. So I saw this sign, and I was fishing one of my little creeks that I kind of keep private to myself. Real small little creek, but I ran into a couple of landowners on the creek that each had three smallmouth on a stringer. One guy had three, the other, his wife had three. And the smallest fish on there was 13 or 14 inches. And I just did the math on that mm. aggregate growth, right? So let's say six years. Just six years yeah. for a 13-year-old fish. Go to the low end, right? Reduce it. And you got six fish. That's six years of fish. That's 36 years of aggregate growth that's just gone. Now, I mean, those fish are big enough to spawn. They've spread their genes at least once. Yeah. But still. That's, um, a, that's a ton of time. That's a ton of time. To be gone yeah, in it really is. one and, afternoon. And I mean, you can reduce it to that. You can exaggerate it to that extreme if you want. But the long and short of it is... We, we had a nice conversation about that, and they lived on this creek their whole life. We had a really good conversation about it. They ended up letting the fish that were still alive go. Really? So they ended up only taking one. He had one guy, the, the, the husband had two that made it, and the wife had one that made it. And that's when I went, man, these fish take this long to grow, and they have no advocacy. Here at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's been other alliance groups that have been here, but they're quiet. And I mean, I, 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 
I grew this group really fast by just being a really, really pain in the ass. <laughs> just by being loud. Just by being loud. And and I've I've mellowed since then because it's grown and smallmouth are starting to starting to really become a very as you guys know, they're a very popular fish to catch. So yeah. that's kind of where OSA came from, man. It just was that aha moment where I spent my entire first seven or eight years of my guiding career fishing for trout that have all these great big political organizations that are fine. I mean, they do wonderful thing. And the, the state of Missouri and the state of Arkansas both have great trout programs to generate revenue. Right. The long and short of it is, and I'm going to take a bunch of flack about this, but they're not. That They're interlopers. They're not <laughs> native fish. We have no native trout in the mm-hmm. Ozarks yeah. at all. These fish in this river, born here, baby. Yeah. Just like us. Yeah, that's what, right. Why do you think that is, though? I mean, why do you think that the trout has so many advocacy groups and the smallmouth has not had the same support on such a wide scale? I think it's kind of typical of all warm water f- river fishing. Okay. Um, trout have, there are, I mean, let's face it, wild trout live in some pretty amazing places. Yeah. I mean, you go out to Deckers or you go out to, you know, anywhere in Montana, anywhere in Utah, and they're beautiful. Plus, they have, you know, Trout Unlimited's done an amazing job of advertising catch and release, and they put their money where their mouth is. They've done a lot of, you know, a lot of, lot of good conservation efforts for trout. Um, and, and fly fishing especially, until recently, was just seen as this effete, very kind of a rich man's sport, if yeah. you will, right? Well, the elitist. The elitist of the elite, right? And, you know, here we come bonking down the river in a rubber boat and <laughs> big flies, and we're just knocking everything on the head. And, you know, so I, I think over the past decade, fly fishing has evolved from being seen as that specialized rich man, doctor, lawyer, et cetera, sport to more of a common man and that's what the smallmouth is dude. yeah he's a common he's a blue collar common dude um and that's where i identify the best they're, yeah they're pissed off all the time i mean a 10 inch smallmouth will pull a 12 inch rainbow backwards and drown him <laughs> in most places I t- i'm gonna take some flack for that too i guarantee it but um it doesn't matter they're strong they mm-hmm. fight hard they live in beautiful places and they're native and and I just think, like I said, over the past decades, fly fishing has really spread and grown. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is, this is why. Yeah. Yeah, I think about, um, you know, especially getting someone who's new into fly fishing. A lot of times, that is, the first, someone who's never done it, they think of trout fishing. They think of going up to the, the tailwaters or going over to the white around here or fishing Tanicomo, stuff like that. And while that is very popular and it's it's cool, it is it's a lot to get into it. You need you know the waders to start with. You need a fly rod, your outfit, and all of it. And it just ends up being like so overwhelming and intimidating. Whereas some of the best days on the water can be. I we did a, a video one time where we went and bought an Ozark trail rod from Walmart, forty bucks. Bought a few poppers and went to the closest creek to our house, and we had a blast. Oh yeah! And people catching don't smallmouth. Yeah, catching smallmouth and sunfish and, and stuff like that that people don't realize. Like it's so accessible, you don't have to drive an hour, two hours to get to right. that nearest trout water. Right. And all you need is a fishing license. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't need a, a trout stamp. Right? right. You don't need to buy a park tag or anything like that. All you need is your, you know, Missouri slash Arkansas 
fishing license mm-hmm. to, to come out here and do this. Yeah. Why do you think it is that cold water streams get more traction than the warm water streams a lot of times? Is less of them? Yeah, well, there's or less of trout? them. And there's, I mean, it is... Like a hyper-focused thing? Like is, there's warm water creeks tr- everywhere? Trout w- trout and salmon were the, were the you know, the, the, the lead into fly fishing and have been for, you know, centuries, mm-hmm. right? You know, back in the day, it was Dame Juliana Burner, right? She's a mistress in a castle and... She can fly fish, and you know you still go to Scotland now to fish for Atlantic salmon, and you've got to you've got to own a beat, and to fish that beat, mm-hmm. you have to have permission to fish that beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, until not too long ago, in England, you could only cast to brown trout rising, and you could only present upstream. I mean, that was law. Oh wow! And and I mean, wow. you had to be in that. the you had to be again you had to be in that elite category to wow. do this sport and now you don't with the advent of the rods that we're using today i mean i had you fishing a 299 dollar tfo and you loved it right yeah. it um, wasn't a, it wasn't a an 1100 dollar sage or you know 1200 winston which those are great as well those are awesome rods but it's become an affordable sport it's mm-hmm. become where guys like us that don't make a gazillion dollars a year can get into it be effective at it and you come out here in the summer and you need a pair of tennis shoes, a box of flies, a roll of line, and a rod, and yeah. a willingness to go. Yeah. And you're in. Mm-hmm. What made you, I'm just curious, what made you want to be a guide? If we go back to just growing up and, and maybe your connection to the Ozarks and the outdoors, what made you take the step to say, I don't just love it, like, this is what I want to do? It's all I'm good at. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um... <laughs> I love teaching people how to fish and I love watching people fish. And I love, I I tell Cindy this all the time when I'm in the boat and I just, we had this conversation before we started talking. I haven't actually fished in probably a month. Yeah. I've been guiding that whole time. That's right. Um, You know, I'll pick up a rod to, to do demonstrations and stuff like that. And I don't guide when I fish. I don't think any fly fishing guide should. But when I'm sitting in the seat behind you, rowing and you're casting i'm connected to you mm-hmm. i'm fishing right with you i see you make the cast i close in my head i see what the fly is doing mm-hmm. i feel you're the same sense of of accomplishment when you hook that fish and i i mean i tell people all the time when how'd you do oh we caught when it was really you yeah right? i didn't i i steered the boat and tied the flies on but it was we caught fish and that's that's why i like to guide i i like to watch people catch fish almost as much if if not as much as i like to catch fish myself yeah that's cool yeah i mean it's that's why you're good at what you do you you've got to have that i think to be good at this and to keep yourself from burning out you have to keep that flame lit and you have to keep it lit through other people because this isn't all cocaine and hookers. I'm, <laughs> I'm on the raft all the time. I'm gone. I'm, I'm, I'm at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm not home till 7 o'clock at night. And then I've got three hours of prep time, whether it's replacing flies or rebuilding rods or doing whatever. So my fishing time, and that's all I do when I'm off work. I fish. I mean, mm-hmm. we go, you know, any day that I'm off, we're on the water. But a majority of my time, I'm on the water 250 to 280 years days a year guiding Mm. so i mean think about where that leaves me fishing i have to keep that flame kindled 
And I do it through you guys. I do it through watching my clients be successful and especially new guys that, you know, pick it up. It's, it's great to have a stick in the boat. Like you guys are great fishermen and it's awesome to have, you know, where I don't have to give you a lot of direction. I say cast there, you might tweak this a little bit or I'll put a different fly on or something. But to get yesterday, I had a brand new guy in the boat. We, we taught him how to cast on the bank before we got in the raft and 20 minutes later, he had his first smallmouth. Oh, that's so cool. And it was, it was badass. <laughs> it was really a lot of fun. So. Yeah, that is awesome, man. I mean, I, I think to hear you say that, it makes sense why you are so successful as a guide and you're able to do it and not burn out because I think the the guide life seems on the outside to be romantic, but I see you guys putting in the work. And as we talk to guides, it's like, no, y'all are grinding and it's every day in the sun and it's that you're you know exposed to the elements and so that fire like you said obviously has to come from somewhere else so yeah and, and you got to keep it lit especially this time of year right because we're in low water warm water yep low flows fishing's tough high sun so you, yeah high sun exactly <laughs> and you've just got to keep it you've got to keep it going and i mean i wake up every day i'm i'm a blessed individual i get to do this every single day and, you know, I'll never, ever take that for granted or never. Mm. Hopefully it'll never wane. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to guide until it just it's time to be done physically, yeah. right? Yeah, that's awesome. There's a lot of things to know about hunting turkeys in the Ozarks. But there's two things I know for sure. One, it's that turkeys have really good eyesight. So your camo matters. Canis makes an incredible turkey camo. It is comfortable. It is breathable blends into the background like no other. It is the perfect camouflage for those long sits back up against a white oak tree, hearing those hens and gobblers hold up 200 yards away as I'm just waiting for them to come in. The second thing you gotta know is you have to be prepared for anything. Whether it's a tom sneaking up behind you or a rainstorm coming at you out of nowhere, Canis has you covered. From the Nunavut rain jacket to the chamois fleece hoodie to the alpine pant with built-in knee pads, make sure you have Canis on you for this upcoming turkey season. Use our discount code OZARK for 15% off website or in-store, and good luck this turkey season. Sadly, hunting season in the Ozarks has come to an end. But in these hills and hollers, it's always been the off-season where woodsmen dialed in their equipment to get ready for the next hunt. And there is no better time to dial in your shot grouping with some new gear from Umarex. Our friends over at Umarex produce some of the most accurate air-powered rifles in the world, with everything from 22 caliber guns for squirrels and rabbits, 30 calibers for coyotes, bobcats, and coons, all the way up to 50 caliber air rifles that can take down white-tailed deer, feral hogs, and bear. Umarex leads the industry in accuracy and innovation, making some of the best hunting air guns on the market, hands down. Head on over to umarexusa.com and use our discount code Ozark Air for 12% off your entire order and start getting dialed in for your next hunt. All right, so let's talk. Let's get into some of the meat of um, fishing for smallmouth as the seasons change. And maybe before we get into tactics and stuff like that, let's just kind of set the stage for how do the seasons and weather patterns and everything, how does that affect the river Um and, and how does the fishing change when you're out here as far as what you observe in the water, um, around the water, you know, the foliage, all, all the stuff that you're kind of keyed in on? 
So I really break the four seasons into what it would be six, I guess, or five, right? Okay. So winter is its own season. Okay. You can call it early winter or late winter. It's winter. But then I've got early spring, late spring, early summer, late summer, early fall, late fall. Okay. Right? So to break that down a little more, um, winter would to me would be mid-November to the first part of March. First part of March to middle of April, early spring. Middle of April to the end of May, late spring. Beginning of June to the middle of July, early summer. Middle of July or beginning of July, if you will, to end of August, first of September, late summer. Okay. And then September, October, early and late fall. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really don't guide smallmouth in the winter at all. I, it's, I, I, I switch to walleye. Um, something a little more reliable, something a little more cold water. These fish, a lot of these fish will back out of the river and get into the lake. Um, and the water temperature's down. They don't need to eat as much. So winter to me is a time to catch walleye and float the rivers by myself. Okay. With no one else. Mm. Early spring and the spring season itself is when we start seeing, you know, I have this table, if, you, if you've ever been in sales, you know the old saying, up and to the right is always best, right? So if sure. your sales chart is up and to the right, everything's better. Well, water temperature is the same way. November, it's up, it's down and to the left, right? So it'll start out warm and drop through the day or through the night. Um, in the spring, and early spring is when we start seeing that water temperature start cold and in the middle of the day start climbing up regularly into the 50s um that's when we typically see our first rains so we're coming out of low flows of winter although the past three or four winters have been ridiculously mm -hmm. wet yeah um but on a typical year you know that early spring time is when we start seeing fish move back into the river and venturing out of those winter holes and looking for something to eat that's okay. kind of when everything wakes up right yeah the food chain wakes up. You start seeing bugs hatch. Well, the bugs hatch, and then the minnows come behind them, and then the bluegill come behind them, and then the smallmouth come behind them. So that early spring is a time when I just start seeing more fish, more activity in the river. And um, mid-spring, late spring is spawn for me, pre-spawn and spawn. Okay. Um, so that's when the water temperature hits 60 and stays there. On a, on a regular basis. It can dip back in the nights, but during the day, it's hitting 60, 65, and it's staying there, and that's when we see the spawning and pre-spawn activity, and that's that heavy feeding. I've got to get bulked up. Um, that's when you start seeing fish busting bait fish up on the banks and mm -hmm. really getting aggressive about their eating. Willing to chase just about anything. Yeah, they'll yeah, chase yeah. a lot. Um, and, and the spawn, they're the, kind of the same way, but it's a different chase right it's get out of my nest yeah sure. i don't fish the spawning fish ever there's plenty of fish that aren't spawning or have spawned and are done on the river you don't have to fish the bedded fish um, so they don't all spawn at the same time no you, you generally can not i mean you in in areas they will but on a little creek this year you know i came into one area in at the end of april beginning of may and there were beds everywhere two miles down river no beds anywhere and it was a spawning ground and then a week later there were beds there so, you know, they just kind of move with where the water temperature stays consistent and when, when the urge strikes them, I guess, if you will. Probably a lot more scientific to it than that. But just as a casual observer, um, there's always somewhere to find fish that aren't on the beds. And so, you know, that, 
that spawn period, especially when they really get going hot and heavy, is really can be really tough. Um, they don't care about eating then. The males are fighting to get on the nest with the females, and then the females are fighting to lay their eggs and move other females off. I've got some video footage of two females knocking the sh crap out of each other yeah. to get onto really? the nest. Fighting yeah, smallmouth. Yeah, mouth. yeah. I, I'll show sparring smallmouth. It's really cool. I want to see that. Um, and so the males do the same thing, right? They'll They'll bust each other off and try to assert dominance that way. So really they're, you know, when they're actively spawning, they're more interested in chasing things away than they are eating them. Yeah. And you were talking about in the raft before we got here, in the spawn, you have a video of a fish or you were with a client who caught a 21-inch smallmouth, but it was like two pounds. Two yeah, post-spawn fish. She was, she had probably hadn't been done spawning in a couple of days. Okay. Her so, fins were just starting to heal up. Yeah. And uh, she was off the nest. She was off of the spawning ground. She was back in deep water trying to feed up. But she was just long, skinny, looking rough. And that just tells you what exactly what you're saying. During the spawn, they're just not focused on it. Yeah, you. they're just and, – and, you know, once that spawn's done, though, man, it's – get on it. Um, and, uh, you know, the females will move off first. The males will stay behind, protect the nest, run everybody off, keep the bluegill from eating the fry and the eggs. But the females – you can drop back and find that deep pocket, that deep water, or find a riffle with good current in it, you'll find some bigger fish down there because that's where they've gone to fatten back up after yeah. a rough spawn. Um, summer, you know, I mean, summer is summer. is summer. Early summer to me is one of my favorite times. Post-spawn's amazing. Fish, all the fish are feeding. You know, the males will stay on the nest for a week, 10 days, then they're gone, and they got to go out and feed too. Um, the blue, you know, the sunnies start spawning. Mm -hmm. So you got long ear or bluegill nests all up and down the creek, right? And the smallmouth are coming in and smashing those things off the nests and eating the small, eating the sunfish. So that post-spawn time is so much fun. The fish are active. You don't have to worry about pulling them off the nest or pulling them off protecting fish. And uh, they're aggressive. They're gaining weight. They're starting to get that Ozark smallmouth look back to mm -hmm. them. The fins yeah. aren't all ragged. Um, so, you know, that, that post-spawn time for me is, it is so much fun. If you, to me, if you're going to catch a giant, a real giant, it's either going to be in March or it's going to be at the end of May. Okay. And as far as, it sounds like that would be like, if you're wanting to go after numbers, post-spawn right there. Numbers and size post-spawn. If you want to get just, you know, pure numbers, it's going to be pre-spawn. Okay. And uh, hit the riffles hard, find the males that are feeding up to fight, and find the females that are feeding up. But that early March, when they're just coming back and they've started feeding heavily to get, gain their weight back from the winter, it's an incredible time to be yeah. on the water. Numbers are way down. And you're hoping to move one fish or two fish in a day, but those okay. one or two fish, they're big fish. are going to be big, big fish. And, and you know, after post-spawn, we move into this. We move into summer, right? And we've got, you know, that late part of June, water flows start dropping out a little bit. Our rainfalls subside. Um, we start seeing the 80s. We start seeing the 90s. Water temperatures come up out of the low 70s into high 70s or low 80s. And so those fish just kind of for that month or so, they kind of get really predictable. Where are they going to be? Well, they're going to be here at a plunge pool in the day, middle of the day mm -hmm. where there's oxygen, where there's food. Early in the morning, they're probably going to be closer into the bank chasing sunfish or chasing crawfish. Late in the evening back there. And then in the middle of the day, they're going to move to cover or move to the middle of the river, middle of the river 
on deep pools yeah. and plunge pools. So they get fairly predictable. And then we get into where we are now, right? Late summer. I mean, we're coming into the dog days of summer. It's what today, 98 degrees or something is supposed to be later today. It's a scorcher. Yeah, it's yeah. hot. And the, the water temperatures in the low 80s, is mid 80s, it's a lot warmer than it probably needs to be right now. So that's why we're fishing areas like we're at. You know, we're, you've noticed today we've paddled through any flat water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've come to Riffles to find oxygenated water and cooler water. Riffles and deep. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're fishing deep. And it's also easier on the fish, right? They've just got a little bit more oxygen in their system. They're, it's easier for them to recover and get through it. Um, and then in fall, we start all over from spring again. They know the days get shorter. Water temperatures start cooling down. They see a little bit of the fall rain come in. And they're like, oh, time to eat. Mm. We're going to sleep for a while. They don't really hibernate here. They don't really, you know, the fish, some of the fish up north will go complete in complete stasis where they just won't eat at all. Really? Hmm. I didn't know that. These fish here will eat all winter, but just a lot less. You're saying a lot of them move into lakes? Yeah. So if, you, if, you're on a, if you're on an Ozark stream that's connected to one of the big impoundments, Bull Shoals, Table Rock, Tinnicoma, whatever, the lower, I mean, they can move 20 miles downriver to get to find deep water to winter over at that lake and then when it you know i don't know what it is it's daylight it's water temperature and it's just the urge to get back in the river and they'll start moving back up when the fall they kind of start sensing the the same thing so it, it really changes how you fish these rivers I yeah mean, you know in the fall i'll start fishing 10 miles down river from where we are right now and just fish down you totally there. change your location mm-hmm. totally Totally changed my locations. Once I start noticing up here that, you know, even today we've seen plenty of fish. They're here. Yeah. But, you know, in, in mid-September, you know, or especially once we get that really good first cold snap um, that's sustained, you know, I'll just start noticing less fish and I'll just start moving my way down the river. Um, early fall is a lot of fun. Water temperature's cooling down. Everything else is gearing up for the winter as well. The bait fish have all moved into the river. The fry are off the nests, and they're balled up around root wads, or they're balled up on big rocks. Well, that's where the smallmouth are, too, yeah, right, as they're chasing all that food. And uh, it's time to eat. It's time to put some weight on and, and get ready to go. So they'll chase great big streamers. They'll, you know, it's, it's I don't know how many times in the fall you'll be going down just a stretch of water like we're on right here, and the deep side's on the left, and you'll look to your right in four inches of water, and there's a 20-inch smallmouth sitting in four inches of water waiting Golly. on bait fish. And that just kind of goes on, you know, through through October. Um, I guide smallmouth through the middle of November. Last year, my last smallmouth trip was, I think, the 12th okay. of November. We yeah. had warm enough weather. We kept our water in the, in the 50s in the day where we could still manage a few good fish. And it's another really good time to get on a, on a big fish because – you're not shooting for numbers on that. That's when my, that's when my, I'm already pretty well full for October and I've only got a few days open in September, but that's when all my ardent hardcore guys that don't give a crap about numbers come in to throw big flies and sink tips and catch big fish. Yeah, man, that's crazy. I think a lot of people probably don't get a chance or even think to fish that late in the fall. Maybe around here because it's deer season. Like, everyone starts. That's a big, yeah, I'd say that's a big factor. They change their mind. They're like, all right, you know, I, I fished pretty hard this, this summer, this spring, stuff like that. And so they start switching that gear. But it sounds like there's still some really good fishing to be had. There is, yeah, there really is. And, and you know, we've had years where we've, 
gotten cold early and yeah. it's ended early. Okay. And I can remember having my last smallmouth trip in the third or fourth week of October, and I was just like, can't find them anywhere. It's been cold. The water temperatures. 50s during the day, 40s at night, and they're just they're just not consistently eating. And I don't I don't feel right charging people what I charge, you know, to take them out for one or two fish. Yeah. Um, when I know that it's kind of over. But here, you know, one of the one of the things about having a little milder winter is you know you get to fish a little bit longer. And I'm thinking deer season too. I love to deer yeah. as well. But um, while the smallies are eating fish, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw fish at them. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, so let's let's go back kind of through that and let's break it down a little bit. Maybe where do you want to start as far as some tactics of like gear, flies, the transition? What what season would you pick first? So yeah, we can just start. Let's start at the beginning. We start at spring. Okay. Um, and I'll just kind of tell you what I carry with me pretty much all the time anyway. Okay. So I carry six and seven. I'll carry an eight in the spring when I know we've got heavy water just so I can throw a, you know, a, a bigger sinking line or a full sinking line. But my go-to rod, the rod I reach for the most is Semwhite. Okay. I think it's the most versatile rod in a warm water guy's quiver. I really do. You can throw smaller poppers, smaller frogs with it. Um, but you can also throw a full intermediate on it or a, you know, a streamer tip on it and get down and, and touch them with a bigger fly. So I carry sixes with me just because they're a little easier on your shoulder. Um, they're pretty versatile as well. I'll throw a lot of intermediates and, and the new hover lines on them with, with some smaller flies, but uh, seven is what I carry with me. The spring, I usually have four different levels of line with me. I've got a floating line. I've got an intermediate and a hover, which an intermediate is just what it sounds like, slow sink rate, gets you an intermediate depth to right. one and a half to two inches a second. And then you've got a hover line, which is a line that's built heavy forward, light back, and will become neutrally buoyant or density compensated at some point in time. And it just gives you a little bit more pinpoint control on where you want to put that fly. There are times in spring where you have got to get that fly in the exact zone that they're feeding in, whether mm -hmm. that's the upper third, the middle third, and I break the water into thirds, upper third, middle third, bottom third. Okay. And so the hover lines allow me to keep the lines in that middle to bottom third of the water a little bit better. So um, that's, that's a new concept to me. I, I haven't heard of that. So whereas an intermediate sink tip is just going to, as long as you're letting it sink, it will just continue to sink to the bottom, right? Right. And then a hover at some point, because you have the lighter back half of the line up floating in the water, it will keep it. It will keep it right. It, it does exactly what it says it does. It okay. will get. And, and so I, 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 look at, I look at streamers, the quality of a streamer in, in a couple of different ways, right? So what does it do in motion? What does it do at rest? And what does it do when you stop it, right? So okay. I, wanna, I, want, I want a fly to pause, I want a fly to hover, and I want a fly to kick. Mm. That kick is the thing, I think, that will change the mind of a fish that may be noncommittal early on. And so hover lines really help you maintain that level of control. Okay. You know, I'll also carry something heavy with me, right? So one of my favorite lines is is the Airflow Streamer Max, the, the the short version. And I've got it on a seven weight, so I think it's 300 grain. But it's a 24, 26 foot long, 300 grain shooting head, basically, if you will. It's a heavier front end, and, and it allows me to, when we've got heavy 
deep water with current, it allows me to get the fly to the level that I want it to be. Okay. Um, and, and that is kind of my, you know, I, I fish, I fish big swim flies. I fish and I've got some examples here with me. Yeah. Let's pull some flies uh, out here. I'll do my best as the people who only listen to audio to try to explain these, but we'll yeah. also have YouTube and you can see what he's. So you know, you look at you look at my probably number one go-to fly all year long is a double deceiver, right? Okay. Oops, sorry, I'm stuck to my. Um, that fly has everything you want it to have. It's got body. Mm-hmm. Um, it it it's got kick. Yep. And when you stop it, it still moves, right? So it just undulates. Okay. Um, and that is a swim fly. It is an unweighted bait fish pattern that swims through the water. Is the kick the articulated part of the hook kicking yeah. out? Yeah, so basically okay. what it'll do when it's coming through the water, when you stop it, what does it do? Does it just maintain that? Got it. It'll, the, the back will kick The back it. will kick. And so our favorite, probably our favorite fly for that is the yard sail. Yeah, love the yard sail. Um, Grzewski's, and I just butchered his name, and he can kill me later. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's his pattern, and uh, it's it's number one or number two all year long for us. Yeah. Today for you. Yeah. The the blue bomber, the single blue that's, bomber, that's right? That's a yard sale. Yeah, it's a yard sale. It's just a single hook yard sale. Yeah. Whereas um, this one's articulated. That's a double hook. hook. Yeah, yours is a yours is articulated, but there's only one hook. Okay, it's just got a shank off the back end of it. When um, you said it was single, I was like, "But it's got such action. How could it be?" But yeah, no, single hook is what I meant. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and you notice both the fish you caught. I mean, that where was that fly? At the end of the swing. I mean, and, and where was the fly in the fish's mouth? Oh, he crushed it sideways. Yeah. Right? yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, they that's the way they hit those things. It's yeah. just. Bam, sideways on. And so these are examples of swim flies. And these are things in the spring and in the fall that I really want to fish, you know, because I think that's what gets the fish going. And, and that's, you know, that's small, right? So that's not, a, that's not a giant double deceiver. It's one of my smaller ones. It's in a box that I carry with me. This is my, kind of my summer box. So it looks okay. pretty big to me. <laughs> and uh, that's a, you know, I think that's a, a two-aught, one-aught. Mm-hmm double deceiver and and um you know that's one of the smaller ones that will i don't think i have any of the giant ones in here any colors that you key in on in that early spring follow the seasons okay Um, so in the spring brighter bolder whites shad so if you look in my box how many how many shad double deceivers do you see there Mm. one two three four five six seven yeah eight Shad, because this river's full of gizzard shad. Mm-hmm. And We've so, been seeing them as we're cruising. Yeah. I'm standing up on the raft. I'm seeing them cruise. Yep. And so in the spring, I carry a ton of white with me. Brighter colors, normally because you're fishing a little more opaque water, mm-hmm. but shad become important. And white in the spring to me is is just you got to have it. Yeah. Um, summertime, we'll start going to the more browns, yellows, oranges, um, chartreuses, blues, cotton candy, so blue, pink, white. Um, and in the fall, we go fall colors. That's a, you know, that's, a, fall, that's a fall forest floor right yeah, there, right? Yeah, yellow and brown. Yellow, brown, gold. Some dark, um, some dark brown and some purple Some darks, here. yeah, and, and that's kind of where I, you know, that's where I, I kind of follow the seasons on my colors. Mm-hmm. Um, in the spring, like I said, I will always have white with me. I will always have black and white with me. I will always have something bright, whether it's chartreuse or whether it's pink. Or whether it's purple and pink. Purple and pink's another amazing color combination in the spring. Plus, you get a bonus walleye out of it every now and then, which is cool. But <laughs> that's crazy to me because that's nothing. I mean, I don't ever see anything purple and pink in the water. No, but they just 
No, unless somebody loses their a flip fancy. flop, right? But yeah. I was going to yeah, ask why blue, why the blue bomber. Yeah, like, so I mean, the I, just something about it. So this this is my redneck hillbilly Ozark philosophy <laughs> for it. How many fish. blue damselflies have you seen today? How many have I seen? A ton. I mean, I've had a I bunch have. of my I mean, they've been all over my oars. Yeah, I haven't been very observant. Yeah, so they yeah you've been fishing. <laughs> Mine keep landing on my rod. And I keep yeah, and so them there's there's blue everywhere, and and maybe it's just a trigger color. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Somebody much more scientific and smarter than I am on that stuff could probably tell you, but um, blue and pink, blue, white, and pink, purple and pink, hmm. white, white and gray, white, gray, black, mm-hmm. and then a brighter, brighter color like chartreuse pink, chartreuse white in the spring, follow into summer, go, you know, we were just talking about this yesterday. Um, I'll start dialing everything back in the summer because if you look at the forage in the river during the summer, it's three inches mm. and you smaller. Go smaller. Yeah. They, they aren't chasing shad right now. I mean, maybe every now and then you'll see one blow up on a shad, but they're chasing stone rollers. They're chasing Ozarks minnows. They're mm-hmm. chasing bleeding shiners. They're chasing mad toms. Um, so that, that two to four inch size range on, on streamers is where I go in the summer. Hmm. And so you're talking spring a, a little bit. Um, you got the heavy water, it's raining a bunch, obviously. So that's why you're, you're using those, those different lines to get down. Um, and then as it moves into that late spring, is it kind of a similar thing or what, what's the transition look like from spring to summer? Well, hopefully in late spring, our rains have subsided a little bit. We're back down. We still got a lot of water in the river, but we're back down to a more manageable level. So I'm, I'm probably not throwing the full sink anymore or the streamer max anymore. Um, I'm probably going to a, a heavy intermediate or, you know, a full intermediate like the outbound short that's, you know, whatever it is, 30 feet long on the front end. Yeah. Um, a lot more floating lines because we're fishing some weighted flies. Then we're going to go start, you know, playing around with creepy crawlies. And just because you have to, you're going to start throwing some poppers and some mm-hmm. frogs and, you know, hoppers and stuff like that. So late spring, early summer, I'm carrying a couple of different styles of floating line. One aggressive, one not so aggressive. Okay. And the, the aggressive one for bigger poppers. And uh, the not-so-aggressive for a weighted fly, like, you know, for a leech or for a, a mad tom or a sculpin or something. Um, and then something maybe a little heavier, like an S3 hover, right? So it's sink three, back to sink one, back to up to intermediate. Okay. Um, and I just carry them on spare spools with me, and we swap them out as conditions. It's hard to carry nine rods in the boat with you. I carry three in hopes that I've got a little bit of little bit of variety that I can, can work around. But... Um, you know, the, that, that early spring, late summer, everything just starts to chill, right? The spawn's done. They're starting to eat, kind of get normal about things again, early, late, some midday activity as well. They're getting in the middle of the river around rocks and humps and big rock. And um, so we're just switching tactics up, a little bit smaller bait flies. We'll start throwing some creepy crawly stuff, damselfly nymphs, leeches, crawfish, mad tom, stuff like that. Late summer, um, it's almost primarily small bait fish, clousers, craft uh, uh, minnows, yep. and then bottom stuff, leeches, crawdads, mad toms. Right now, the mad tom, man, a mad tom's a stone cat or a small catfish that lives in the mm-hmm. rocks. They're spawning right now. Really? Yeah. So if we went out there onto one of these riffles right here and we turned over a big rock, we'd probably find a slender mad tom oh, cool. under it on a nest. Well, I noticed a couple of weeks ago that Every other smallmouth we caught was puking up half-digested mad toms. Really? 
that's when I know it's time. Okay, well, time to get back down. Time to start throwing. Do you have a fly that emulates the maton? I don't have one in here, no. Um, well, I've seen some people throw something that kind of looks like a sculpin, too. The season geezer okay. would be one, you know, from, from Brammer. It's kind of got that flat. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be a sculpin. Yeah. It could be a mad tom. They look really similar. If you described one, flathead, wide fins, slender body, right. you can describe a mad tom and a sculpin in the same sentence. So, you know, season geezer is a good one. Um, I tie one called a jiggy mad tom that's a uh, a uh, uh, sculpin helmet on a jig shank with oh, okay. a size 2 hook so on it's got a big lead head. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's heavy and it gets down and it'll get in and out of the rocks. That's one of my favorite late summer flies. In fact, when we're done here, that's what I'm going to tie on and go right there <laughs> and try to catch a fish with. But um, going to look at my sculpin box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sculpins are always the river's full of sculpins. Two or three different varieties of them, and most of the Ozark stream, you know, have more than one variety of sculpin mm-hmm. or more than one variety of Mad Tom. So you know, that's kind of that summer transitioning to late summer. Late summer for me is always early days when I can and top water early and then just grind it out in the day. Yeah. You're going to have to find them in oxygenated areas. We're probably at our lowest flows of the year. Um, and that, that slack water is, I don't fish it for two reasons. One, it's hard on the fish. Two, it's hard to catch the fish out of them. They're not really there to feed. Yeah. I, I don't know how many times in the past month I've had a fish come up behind a yard sale and just, kiss kiss the tail and that's it <laughs> didn't chomp it and just back off real slowly it's like i'm just checking you out well it's kind of like it's kind of like okay i'm supposed to be interested in this thing but i don't remember why right now because i'm not really that hungry <laughs> and i don't really want to expend any energy because i'm it's going to take me longer to regain it because i the do's lower the temperature's higher and they're cold-blooded so they kind of react accordingly could you go into a little bit more depth on that just in terms of because that may be something that not everybody realizes or understands when you talk about oxygenated water versus slack water, how the oxygen gets in the water, why that's important for the fish. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so for the trout guys out there, smallmouth behave in rivers just like trout do. Yeah. I mean, exactly. They they will mimic trout. They're, they're cooler and they're more aggressive and they're funner to catch. They're blue collar. Anyway, huh? So they're blue collar. They're, they're blue native. collar, yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> they act the same way. So the, the oxygen where we are right now is on a, below a pretty good riffle. Yep. Oxygen you can probably is, hear it behind yeah, us. Yeah. Oxygen is injected into the water as it tumbles over the rocks and gets churned. So you see these bubble lines. And, and you hear a lot of trout guides say foam is home. Mm-hmm. Right here. Same, same thing. thing foam is home those little slight bubbles like that are oxygenated water right so and and they also are a very good indicator of where the food that gets dislodged or you know is going to travel as well because you know they they will eat big mayfly nymphs they'll be eat helgramite nymphs i mean they'll eat the big the big bugs too um so yeah we we come to riffles like this because generally they get infused with oxygen and the farther down they get out of it that spreads out and through evaporative processes, you you probably are going to have a little bit lower DO, a higher temperature. This water maintains a little more cover. It, it's darker. So, I mean, it maintains a little bit more, you know, less temperature. You could probably go to the middle of this shoal right here, take a temperature reading, and then come out to the edge, and there will be a three to four degree difference. Yeah. Hmm. Not much to us, but to them, it's everything. Yeah. I and mean, it's a complete, wow. you know, exactly what they – you know what they need is that is that higher saturated oxygen and a little bit cooler temperature. Plus, it's cover, it's concealment. 
you know, they can hide, they can ambush. And, and that's right now, that's where we're seeing all of the food. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Um, you said something, you said Helgramites, and I'm thinking, I'm going to guess that if you were to fish a Helgramite and you were to, we got. We See got, all those circles up there? See all those white circles on the tree? Oh, yeah. Right there? Yeah, what That's are those? last year's Helgramite eggs. Oh, no way. Yeah. So we're sitting under this huge sycamore right now, and Ryan's pointing out some white circles on the tree. Those are Helgramite eggs. Yeah, yeah well, they'd be Dobson fly, because that's okay. what the Helgramite grows into. Fish fly or Dobson fly. Look at that. What was that? <laughs> Smallmouth just blew up on that ball of bait right there. Missed it. Pushed it up to the bank. Missed it. I was so busy interviewing you. Yeah, I know, right? Somebody's doing your job. <laughs> you weren't watching the water. Um, so if you're going to fish Helgramites... Because uh, I hear a lot of people talking about well, Helgramites. It's one of the smallmouth's favorite food. Do you ever fish them, and yeah. when would you? Yeah, so this time of year. Okay. Um, it, it'll get crazy here in a little bit because here in another month, all the new, and, and I'll point some out if, as we go down the river, all the new egg sacks are going to look just like that here in another month. Okay. And those larvae are going to fall out into the water. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And I never then, noticed. Just Yeah. Yeah, as we're going like down the river the rest of the day, any any sycamore or any tree you find hanging over the water, look at it. If it's near moving water. And so the reason that's there and it's not there this year is look where we're sitting. On dry land. There's no water here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last year, there was water here. Oh. When they, when they, because this gravel, the, the flood we had at the end of last year and this one this spring moved all this gravel, pushed this gravel bar up onto here and now we got a gravel bank. Gotcha. So yeah, Helgramites are, and that's where that's where you know they're fun to fish because you can you can punch one into a riffle and high stick it through there and just watch your line bounce and set up on them and yeah, it's like they're, a they're, for a trout. Yeah, there are a lot of and mm-hmm. you can drop them off the back of a big popper and popper dropper it. Yeah, you can do that with a come to the river sometime with like a size ten or a twelve Prince Niff oh. and drop it off of the back of a a big popper. Yeah, and. Uh, it's a lot of fun. The trout guys might be a little bit more at home with that if they're. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's where it comes from, right? Yeah, I mean, it's hopper dropper, popper dropper, but they love eating that way, and this is perfect water to fish it in that we're sitting next to right now, and that's where we would fish it. Yeah, that's cool. I I've never really done any nymphing for smallmouth, but I know that you can. I know that, yeah, I know that there's some of that in there, but it seems to be typically a lot more streamers, a lot more um, like fishing a crawdad along the bottom. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I agreed. And and honestly, streamer fishing to me is is the fun part of it. Okay. Right. What we're doing, and and you've only fished streamers today, and you've only fished streamers today. I've thrown a leech, and I'm I'm searching for a little different fish. I don't sure. care if I catch a hundred fish. Um, I want you guys to catch fish and have fun and have a good story to tell. But for me, if I can catch one good one today, I'll be really happy. But yeah. And so I'm punching a big leech down. You know, until I picked up your rod and caught yeah. a couple of small fish on a <laughs> yeah, clouser, which was fun. <laughs> that was an honor for me for you to yeah. fish on my rod. It was, cool. it was a lot of fun, yeah, catching. And, I mean, it's, it's when they're sitting exactly where you know they should be. Yeah. And you swing <laughs> your fly right in front of a rock and one comes out and grabs it. I mean, it's just like, yay. It, it kind of confirms, like, yeah, what right. you know where they're supposed to be. Yeah, you feel 12 years old again. And, and uh but yeah, so the Helgramite thing is a lot of fun. And, and it's all year, really, but it... it it becomes really important in July and August when, okay. you know, the Dobson flies, when they pull it, crawl out and they hatch. And the Dobson's, another chase over there. I'm starting to, my <laughs> you, eyes twitching You got the squirrel bit. ADD. <laughs> we can yeah, burn through the rest of the season. I, you guys can't see this on the radio, but there is a, 
There's a big look. Look, look over there on the far side. Look. look oh yeah. All yeah, the way yeah. to the bank, dude. Oh, they're going crazy. Like four over or there. five over there, just streaming through some bait ball patterns. Yeah. There's our juvenile eagle up there. All right. I guess um, we're gonna hit that hole here in a second. Did you yeah. see that blow oh, yeah. up over I there? I saw it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that that's was cool. uh, that's uh, that's why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so let's go from summer, and then what I'm really curious about is is now going from kind of the the more unfished times going from summer because everyone's outside um, in the in the warm months, but as you get into the fall, what what do you change to your tactics and, and your flies? Yeah, I'm I'm back to big bait fish again. Okay. So I've gone dialed it back up to big streamers and a little heavier line, um, and fishing you know fishing swim flies again. And I'm fishing them in places that they're going to be in the fall, which is at the end of tailouts, deep pools around rock. Um, wood becomes important in the summer, becomes a little less important late fall when the water temperatures cool down. Wood? Yeah. Like, so right now, normally, if we had normal flows right now, we would be throwing, like I told you earlier, we'd be throwing flies up into log jams and trees and pulling fish off of them. Wood is kind of the catalyst for the food chain when it gets warm and deteriorates and there's bugs all around it. But we're so low right now. We have so, you know, such not good conditions. Those fish aren't there to eat. They're there to, they're there just to hang out and hold out. Um, And again, that's not that way all across the Ozarks right now. It's in my little portion of it. We're pretty low everywhere. I mean, I've got one little creek that's only at 40 CFS right now. Yeah. You can barely float a kayak wow. down it. So, whereas today, this last night, where we're at down in Northwest Arkansas, we got two inches of rain last night. Yeah, and, and we that water is coming to us now. It'll probably be here before we get off the water. Yeah. Today. Um. So you know, when when I move from summer into fall, when I start feeling a little crisp and the days are getting shorter, and you know, we we go from fourteen hours of daylight to maybe eleven. I think the fish notice that as much as they notice anything. I mean, less sunlight means the water gets to cool off more at night. And I think that's the things that start triggering them to, to move into those holding places where they can, you know, where they can eat and uh, get ready to get fat. So I go back to big swim flies like that, yard sale, double deceiver, uh, drunken disorderly, butt monkeys, stuff like that, that, you know, peanuts and, and, and just bigger flies that I can chuck through the water and you visual takes, you know, it's just, it's a fun time of year to fish. You know, I also start fishing a little different areas. I fish the ends of these pools, right? So the deeper ends with bigger rock in it. Um, I mean, and sometimes in the fall, every time you hover over a big rock and kill it, you're just expecting a fish to somersault off of that rock and eat it. Yeah. I mean, that's when you know you're in fall, when you you bring that fly perfectly over a rock and you stop it and just kill it and let it do its thing there for a second. And this brown shape just comes up and goes, hey, I'll take that. <laughs> Swims off with it. That's That's what we live for. So, yeah, bigger flies, kind of almost back to spring tactics again, mm-hmm. except you know, maybe in a little different places. Yeah. And then wintertime, if you're not fishing for walleye, if you had to go for smallies. Um, it would be, yeah, sunny day, middle of the day. You've got a one to two hour window. If you can get the water temperature to bump a couple of degrees, whether it's now, you know, if it's super cold for a long time and it's in the thirties, yeah, I don't even go. Yeah. Sit at home, tie flies. Mm -hmm. If I can get it into the forties, maybe bump high forties during the middle of the day, you've got that window mm-hmm. of two to three hours when the sun is at the highest and the water temperature is going to come up where you have a chance to catch fish. Um, and it's going to be, 
I've actually figured out a way to drop shot on a fly rod. Really? And I'll show you sometime, but it's kind of janky, but it works. <laughs> gets so, the job done. Yeah, it gets the job done. But it's going to be um, it, it's going to be crawfish patterns. It's going to be leeches, creepy crawly stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and occasionally, just when I get really bored with it, um, I'll throw a big swim fly. But most time, it's going to be down near the bottom. I mean, if you think about bass guys, right? What do they fish in the winter? If they're not spoon fishing, what are they fishing? A jig. Yeah, mm-hmm. or wacky bottom, rig. Right, yeah. The RNA rig, right? So yeah. they're fishing a jig. And, and the A rigs even, you know, later in the winter, right? But yeah. in, in early winter, December, January, they're they're throwing jigs off points, you know, off bluff walls or drop shotting for suspended fish. So I'm trying to do something similar to that. I find the deepest hole I can find on the river that I think they're going to winter over in, and I'm just going to spend two hours working that hole over, even if it's only 100 yards long, mm-hmm. so... And do you fish? Does your does your speed the way that you retrieve? Does everything slow down? Everything in the is slow. Yeah, okay. everything is slow until they tell me that it's different. Yeah, right. So a couple of times in the winter, I've done that where I go to pull the fly out of the water to make another cast, and a fish is shot up after it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll think, yeah, maybe I'll speed up the next cast just to see what happens. Yeah. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But overall, by and large, slow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like numbingly really slow, slow. <laughs> painfully twitch slow. smoke half a cigar <laughs> take a shot of bourbon twitch warm back up warm back get, up get your heat hands out yeah I, I, a hands. really good friend of mine is one of the best jerk bait fishermen on the lake that i know okay i mean this guy is money on a jerk bait on table rock lake he will throw a jerk bait out suspending jerk bait out and he will twitch twitch and he'll drink half a cup of coffee no way. And watch his line the entire time. Wow. Once he's done, twitch and drink more coffee. And I try to kind of mimic that when yeah. I'm fishing in the winter. It's just, I'm an ADHD guy. I'm just, ah! <laughs> ball. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm trying, you know, to do something that goes against my, my personality. Yeah. But it can be effective in the winter. And the other thing about winter, man, is on a warm day, the river's gin clear. You can see fish in eight feet of water, and cool. nobody out here. Yeah. That's nobody. Just, like you said, you're just exploring. You're kind of out there by yeah. yourself just yeah. to see Yeah, just it. when I get a bad case of the shack nasties, it's time to go. Shack nasties. It's time to go. Um, it's time to get on the river for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's, I could never write a book on smallmouth in the winter because it would be like a half a chapter. Yeah. Throw something big, get it to the bottom, move it really slow. Really slow. Painfully <laughs> slow. The end. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And then come back in the spring when it's And then come back in the spring and fish <laughs> exactly. when normal people yeah. fish, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's awesome, man. Um, I want to ask you this as we kind of start to wrap up. Well, one, do you feel like we've kind of moved through the seasons pretty well? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. As we kind of start to wrap up here, I just want to ask, for you, obviously, you know, you're coming on here, you're sharing your, your knowledge and experience that You've gained over the over the years from putting in the time and being out on the water. Why is it important to you to share this knowledge with folks and, and share it with us and, and people, anyone who wants to hear it? Because I owe a lot of other people for this knowledge. It's it's a lot of it's hard earned that I've that I've, you know, gleaned on my own. I mean the majority of it though has been through the kindness of other people that have taken me in and showed me how to how to fly fish and taught me things and i mean i can't go to my grave with it right 
Yeah. Might as well Hope spread not. it out and, you know, allow it to, you know, maybe someday in the future somebody else will sit here and go, you know, I'm really thankful for this person because he shared knowledge with me. I mean, I've got a whole list of people that I would just pray to and thank thankful for that have, you know, been over the years. I learned some, I learned something from every client I'm in the boat with, regardless of what it is. We may not even be fishing related. And a lot of times it is, but I learned something from somebody I'm with, the people that I'm with every single trip that I go out. Really? And I feel like, Sharing that is just paying back the people that were nice to me and, you know, took a kid under his wing when he was young and showed him, showed him the ropes on guiding. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's a, that's a really great, um, attitude and mentality to have with passing it forward and and paying it to the next person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think that, I don't know. It's just what you got to do. Yeah. It's what I do. That's great. I mean, that's we appreciate it. That's why we're able to do the podcast. It's our whole thing. People like you, I mean, that's why we started it in a lot of ways is because we're like, gosh, there's so much knowledge out there and people like you who have spent their life on the river or in the woods or running a business and connecting with so many different people. And for any type of information like that to one day potentially disappear, it's like, it can't happen. Like, I mean, that, that's that's mm-hmm. part of the reason why we do what the podcast is. Yeah, I mean, to pass know, it on. things that guys have taught me could disappear with them, right? Yeah. So if I don't show tell someone else, then it disappears with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's not fair. No. I mean, not. we can't. We don't live in a vacuum. Mm-mm. As much as I'd like to think that I have, I I I don't copy patterns and I don't, you know. We live in an information age. We don't live in a vacuum. We have to learn from somewhere. Um, and, you know, you got to learn it. got to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and not like, everybody can spend 300 days a year on the water. So, Kind of like the smallmouth. The only way you survive is, is pass down heritage, too. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, it's The only just, way just the outdoor industry survives or conservation DNA, or hunters right? or fishers or all of it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I do have one final question for you before Kyle probably asks one more because well, we always do that. <laughs> no, you, you got it. You can, uh, you can end it today. All right. I appreciate it, my throw, friend. I want to throw in the into your question. I'm going to impregnate your question here. <laughs> all right. Ask, you ask your question to me and then I'll ask it to Ryan. Will you ask him about Free the Fighter? That's literally where I was going. Awesome. We're so in sync, man. <laughs> you want to know about Free the Fighter? Uh, yes. That's uh, not the, me. That's o- not Ozark Smallmouth Alliance tagline. It, that's it, my your, tagline, but I did not come up with Yours that. or not yours? Free the Fighter. Not mine. What's it all about? But, but yeah, I, it was so... They're fighters. Let them mm-hmm. go. Free them. Free the Fighter. That was, that was Wisconsin or Wisconsin or Minnesota. I don't remember the first... Alliance. Um, Tim Holschlag was the guy that, and a bunch of other guys started. And it was either Minnesota or Wisconsin. And forgive me, Wisconsinites and Minnesotans, but <laughs> it was one of those two. And Tim just died here recently, a year or two ago. Um, but that was that was free. The, they were that was their tagline. But it just I stopped seeing it, hmm. except on their you know their their like merch and their you know their copyright and mm-hmm. stuff like that, or their not copyright their you know, books or anything like that. And I just picked it up and ran with it. I didn't invent that. Yeah. It's not mine. Anybody can use that. It's not trademarked and nothing. I mean, my names and my logos are all trademarked, but Free the Fighter is, Free the Fighter is the spirit of 
the alliances of, of Ozark Smallmouth Alliance. Let them go. Let them grow. Um, I cannot stop anyone from keeping illegal fish. I just want people to think about how long it took that fish to become 12 inches long. Mm -hmm. It was probably three to four years. It's a long time it for a, a fish. Time. When, when you consider a white basket's that big in under a year, you know, in two years, a walleye is 16 inches. Dang. Yeah. So, I mean, they just, don't, they just don't grow as fast. So that's where Free the Fighter came from. I saw it the first time, you know, when I started seeing um, the, the either Wisconsin or Minnesota smallmouth alliance and i said man that it fits let yeah. him go free the fighter that's cool i like it way better than go and grow let him let go. go let him let go. Him, yeah, yeah. Let him go yeah yeah it's a fighter free it yeah let it, yeah. Let it keep fighting no it's cool. fighting to survive fighting to be caught again all yeah. the stuff yeah exactly. that's great that's awesome well ryan we really appreciate you having us out here to your home waters and and showing us missouri showing us the river um showing us your tactics and your you know cracking the code for us on smallmouth we really appreciate it yeah great can i go fishing now let's do it yeah thanks you guys all appreciate right, it yep uh, to our listeners, if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure you let us know. Share it with a buddy. Send it to your fishing buddy. And leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you on the next one. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V and Kyle Plunkett and produced by Daniel Matthews. For guest recommendations, episode ideas, and general questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or email us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, we love making this show and being able to offer this podcast to y'all for free. But if you're listening and you want to support the Ozark Podcast to allow us to travel even further and meet more interesting people, head over to our Patreon and sign up to join our most loyal listeners. Let me tell you, these folks are 100% certified Ozarkans. And of course, we can't forget to thank our good buddy, J.D. Clayton, for providing the amazing music for today's episode. Check out his website to see where he's touring next at jdclaytonofficial.com. Now, sit back and enjoy his song, American Millionaire. Well, I'm on the road today Just trying to make this life they say wouldn't come true Come true And I'll be back home someday And we'll be laughing by the way things used to be Just wait and see
Yeah.